study this morning is in Hebrews 11 and beginning in verse 6. That's where I think we got to last week. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 6. Now the writer, his admonition to these Jews all the way through the book has been to remain faithful to the Lord because there's the only place where salvation is. He's admonishing them not to go back to that old Jewish system uh, that had no value anymore because of the cross of Christ. And, and to uh, put weight on this uh, exhortation not to go back to the Jewish system, he shows them the heroes of faith. Uh, and the fact that uh, uh, if their faith is in God, then they will continue with his program. They won't go back to that old Hebrew system. And so he shows in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, what we call the heroes of faith. He goes back into their history and shows these men who uh, were prime examples of men who lived by faith. All right, verse uh, 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So lack of faith has its negative consequences, and here they are. Such a man cannot possibly please God. But real faith has two very uh, essential elements as to its content in this verse. Uh, there must be, number one, the, the conviction that God exists. And we know from Romans 1 verse 20 that man is without excuse for not believing that God exists. Now he can lie to himself all he wants to about the Big Bang Theory and about the evolutionary process that came from nothing and going to nothing. They can uh, convince themselves, but the evidence is in the creation. Here's a design that demands an intelligent and powerful designer. And so they're without excuse. But nevertheless, there are those who are blinded by uh, man's philosophical nonsense. And so, number one, this verse says that there must be a conviction that God exists. And number two, uh, the added conviction that he rewards those who seek him. That God is a rewarder. Without these two convictions, it's impossible to please God. That's exactly what the writer said. Now James, in James 2 and verse 14, he begins a somewhat lengthy discussion about the nature of faith. And he concludes by saying that faith without works, uh, without demonstrations, is dead. So if a faith is not demonstrated, it's a dead faith. 
Now Abel, he offered, didn't he? His faith caused him to offer. Enoch walked, didn't he? He walked with God. And that offering and that walk are demonstrations that God can accept and reward. Verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to saving his family. And by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now, how does a man build an ark by faith? Does he simply fold his arms and believe, believe it into existence? Because that's the nature of a lot of people's faith. They don't have any works to prove their faith. As James will point out, faith without works is dead. Uh, and as he illustrates here in these men, uh, so a man builds an ark here by faith. Uh, he doesn't simply fold his arms and believe it into existence. Uh, does he trust that God will make it happen? Well, that's a lot of people's uh, faith. Oh, God will make it happen, so they don't have any uh, effort at all. It says, by faith an ark is built by taking a hammer and a saw and about a half dozen, uh, half a forest of gopher wood and putting together an ark. It will take about 120 years to get it done. But when it is finished, uh, it stands, as in the case of Noah, as one fantastic demonstration of faith. And so, an ark on the mountainside is real evidence, isn't it? Since faith is evidence of the unseen, what was the unseen element in Noah's faith? Well, he was warned about things not yet seen. And that prompted him to build an ark by faith. The unseen had to be the coming flood. When God informed him, of the impending flood, it says that he moved with holy uh, fear, which uh, stresses the attitude that accompanied his building of the ark. He moved with fear. And I've heard brethren say that we shouldn't fear God. Well, we don't fear the judgment because we're sealed and secure in Christ. But we have a fear of God because we believe His Word. I, I, my dad, for example, when I was a boy, uh, I believed my, God, my father. I loved him. He loved me. Never did mistreat me. But I had a certain fear of him because he had authority. And when he said something, that's the way it was. When he told me to go milk the cow or whatever it was, that was that, there was a fear there of not fulfilling the mission that he gave you to do. <clears throat> and so Noah moved with fear in building an ark for the saving of his family. And because of that faith and holy fear, 
His actions saved his family and made him an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. God declared him righteous because he was a man that uh, trustingly accepted what God said about the flood. Now, if you believe in God, you don't argue about God, do you? Now, it starts out, I want to make a special point here. It's not in the lesson, really. Faith begins where? Believing in God. What will establish that faith? Does all men have access to it? Well, we believe in God because of what Romans 1 verse 20 says. The invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, specifically His divine power and Godhead, so that man is without excuse. The last part of that verse is scary because it says that no man has an excuse for not believing in God. Because here's the, the unseen things about God. His divine power and Godhead. They're clearly seen. How are they seen? By the things created. Who's seen them? From the creation of the world. So Adam and Eve, Cain, Abel, Seth, and everyone that's ever dwelt on this planet has seen this manifestation that establishes the fact that there's a God there, because a design demands a designer. And here's a design out here in the universe. Here's a design in our makeup as human beings that cannot deny the fact that whoever, however we got here was by a very intelligent being and a very powerful being that created these things. And so where does faith begin? With God. Where does the Bible start it? With God. What does it say in Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God. And from that point on, you're being introduced to the one who created and how he created and what he created. And so, <clears throat> and so faith begins Faith is established, first of all, in believing in God. Now, if we believe in God, we don't question anything He says, do we? Because we see a, a perfect creation out here. We call it a cosmos because it's not a chaos. It's a well-organized creation in, in any aspect of it. It's well-organized. It's put together in harmony with one another of the different aspects of the creation. And so in that, uh, we can see uh, and trust God. When he says something, we accept it. We believe it. We may not understand it, but we believe it. I like that saying that I saw years ago in a restaurant down here. On the way to Richland, it said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to uh, 
uh, understand all about heaven. All I need to know is what's told me. And God told me that he's prepared a place before the foundation of the world. Uh, uh, how is it it said? Enter thou into the joys prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know about the, all the... Do you need to know everything about Disney World when you go down there? You don't have to sit down and somebody has to prove... Well, there's a roller coaster, and there's this, and there's that. No. Because you know Walt Disney. You know he's into pleasure and fun for children. And you know whatever he's built down there is fantastic. Because there's evidence to prove it. <coughs> and so faith be begins with believing God. And when you believe God... Then you can believe the unseen, can't you? You can. Uh, Noah had never seen it rain. And it would be easy to imagine the conversation that might have taken place when God told Noah about the flood. Noah might have asked, what is a flood? And when God gave him the details, that explains the holy fear Surely Noah wanted to know when it was going to happen, and God told him it would be about 120 years off. It would be easy to imagine Noah saying, I'm not a very good swimmer. Now there's where excuses always come in, isn't it? We always got excuses why we don't do what we're supposed to do. Is there anything that I can do to prepare for the flood? Because I'm not a swimmer. Uh, that would be when God gave him the details about the ark. Noah must have uh, begun construction immediately. He accepted the reality of the unseen flood simply because God had foretold its coming. And that's how we believe in unseen things, because God has told us about them. And he's proved himself to be faithful. He's proved himself in the creation in every aspect of his being. He's proved it to us. Uh, let's notice something interesting here about Noah. Uh, we don't know what his profession was because he was, uh, uh, before he was uh, told to build a, the, uh, about the flood. He might have been a merchant. He could have been a farmer, uh, a rancher, or maybe a builder. Whatever his former profession was, when God told him about the flood, he suddenly become an ark builder by profession. Before he received God's prophecy, ark building would have been the lowest item on Noah's list of priorities. But when God told him about the coming flood, it suddenly uh, revolutionized Noah's uh, priorities. And ark building become a priority one assignment. That information totally and radically changed his profession. 
Now he becomes a professional art builder. He may do other things, but his emphasis is to build an ark because he knows the flood is coming. And that's our nature. We may do other things in life, and we do. Life has many responsibilities, and we answer those calls, those responsibilities. But the main thing that we are responsible for is obedience and compliance to God because we believe him when he, like Noah, when God told him it's going to be a flood. And so let's add these things up a little bit. What does faith do to a man? Well, it will lead him to offer sacrifice unto God. knowing that he is and that he deserves to be worshipped. It will lead a man to walk in the moral standards of God. Faith will lead a man to change his profession. Faith will lead a man to uh, rearrange his priorities. That's some of the things that we learn from this. Faith will lead a man to build a monstrous ark even in the face of ridicule of his contemporaries. Since they had no faith, the work of Noah on the ark must have appeared the height of stupidity. Uh, they can ridicule Noah, but he keeps right on building the ark because he knows that's what God has promised. God will... Uh, what God has promised, God will accomplish. He'll fulfill it. Verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Faith obeys even when it does not see the destination that God has promised. How does a man begin a trip when he doesn't even know where he is going? Imagine Abraham coming home and telling Sarah, get everything packed. We're going to leave for land that God is going to give us. And she may ask, where is this land? But uh, he does not know. But he is sure that God promised the land. God knows where it is and how to get to Abraham and Sarah there. He does not even uh, need to know uh, where he will spend the first night. For God is leading him. God cannot lead a man who stands still. Can't do it. Biblical history assures us that God uh, conducts the, conducted them to the promised land. We've all read Genesis. We know about it. About the record. Uh, verse 9. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. 
And so another interesting thing about Abraham's faith was the way he lived when he arrived in the promised land. He did not have to see the promised land to know that God was going to give it to him. Uh, that is the unseen element here. And he lived in tents in the land of promise after God gave him, uh, got him there. It was his country. So why did he continue to live as a nomad? Why did he live in tents? Why did he not be settled into the land and build a permanent residence for his family? Rather, he lived as a stranger in a foreign country, it says. A stranger is a non-resident, and a foreign country is not the place of one's citizenship. But this is Abraham's land, and God gave it to him. And the next verse we're going to look at here, verse 10, explains the answer to this, these questions. It says, For he was looking for forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And so, no, Abraham would not settle into the land because when people start settling into the land, it seems like the land starts settling into them. That's the nature of life, isn't it? We're creatures of habit. And when you live amongst the ungodly, if your faith is not strongly built and built on the Word of God, you're easily persuaded of the world in many respects. And so when people settle into the land, as it were, it seems like the land settles into them. Uh, no, he's a transit. Uh, that's the way he's described here. That was his life. He is temporary, and he knows it. He is a passerby, and his tent affirms as much. This world is not Abraham's home. The writer will have more to say about those who have the attitude of Abraham in verse 13 through 16, and particularly in verse 37, where it is said this world was not worthy of them. Such men and women of faith deserve more than this world can give. And so Abraham was looking for the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And of course, that's heaven. Uh, what condition surrounds a man's life here is not important. If, uh, if he has uh, confidence and faith that heaven will be his eternal home, then his surroundings is unimportant, isn't it? Uh, what were the invisible elements in Abraham's faith? First, it was a physical land of promise. Remember Genesis 12, God called him from the earth of the Chaldees and told him, Come out into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And uh, he was going to give him that land that he sojourned in as a... As a, a, as a as a pilgrim. But more sufficiently or significantly, it was a city with foundations. Abraham's faith caused him to live in harmony with those unseen but real destinies. 
God can promise him an earthly land, but that is not the one that attracts his attention. That is not the possession around which his life of faith is built. His faith is built around the eternal city. He could not see it, yet he knew it is there. <coughs> Verse 11. <coughs> By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered himself faithful who had made the promise. And so through Abraham, or though Abraham, who uh, was already beyond childbearing age, and Sarah was well beyond the age of childbearing, God gave them a child because of their faith. Both of them were almost a hundred years old. Even when Sarah was of childbearing age, she was sterile, and therefore her body was twice dead. Uh, Abraham was as good as dead. Now that's a statement that's according to what Paul said in Romans 4 verse 19. She, Abraham was as good as dead, being a hundred years old in, in the law of production, and Sarah uh, was twice dead because she was not only past age, but she was sterile. And yet by faith this couple received power to conceive seed. The unseen in this manifestation of their faith was a child by the name of Isaac. It was their conviction that what God had promised he was able to accomplish. They knew him to be faithful uh, or worthy of their deepest trust. Verse 12. <clears throat> and so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sands of the seashore. You remember that's what God promised him in Genesis 12. So as far as reputation, reproduction is concerned, Abraham was already dead. But since he believed, from him came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands in the sea. God had already promised that in Genesis 12, particularly verse 1 through 3. And though Abraham could not see descendants, he cannot even see one, much less the innumerable descendants already promised by God. That is the unseen element. But Abraham and Sarah acted upon their faith. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the thing promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now the writer makes these statements as he talks about these people. All their, these lived during the patriarchal age in the pre-Mosaic era. 
Faith has always been the principle by which God governed his people. Now, I can't stress that heavy enough. In the days of Adam and Eve, the principle by which God governed them was by faith. He told them, don't eat of that tree, and the day you do, you shall surely die. Uh, these examples here go back to the shadows of Eden. God has always dealt with man on the basis of faith. Uh, that is the principle by which he deals with people in the Hebrew age. And that is the principle by which he deals with people in the Christian age. God has never functioned uh, with people on any other basis than a living, dynamic, demonstrable faith. And their faith was uh, diminished uh, by age or circumstance. Uh, excuse me, their faith was not diminished by age or circumstances because they were a people of faith until they died, it says in that verse. They were therefore men and women who were made righteous by faith. And that's what Habakkuk 2 verse 4 said that Paul uses in Romans 1 17. The, the just shall live by faith. They didn't find their life before God by law. Although they was under law, they answered the law. Noah, uh, Moses answered the law, didn't he? He struck the rock when God said, speak to it, and because of it, God said, you will not enter Canaan's land, and he didn't. God took him upon the mountain, showed him Canaan's land. He died, and God buried him. And so they were under a, a physical law, in a physical world, with a physical covenant, uh, and all of it in its entirety was a shadow of better things to come, which is Christianity. And God in that way was preparing the world to see the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ that forgives sins. That's the ultimate uh, of his mission and purpose. So <clears throat> though they did not receive the thing promised, they knew by faith that they would receive them, even those promises which they did not receive by the eye of faith. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They lived in view of the unseen realities of heaven. Some people will not believe until they see. Uh, the truth really is that people cannot see until they believe. Only through faith are men able to see things that those without faith do not see. They are able to live as aliens on earth. The unbelieving live as residents. And sad to say, that's what you see amongst those who profess to be Christians a lot of times. Uh, this world is our home. You know, we sing that song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Well, that ain't the song that most people believe. They might sing it with us, but the evidence is there that they've made, took up full residence in this world. Uh, they don't, as it were, like Abraham, lived in tents 
because he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. <clears throat> I've told you before this story, a job I worked on out at Hanford one time. I happened to sit in the lunchroom next to this welder, this other welder, and my first day, I didn't know the guy, and he was uh, in a debate with some guys down in the lunchroom. I don't even know what it was about. But he made this remark. He said, he said, I'm from Missouri. I don't believe anything unless I see it. Well, I didn't know the guy. But <laughs> I poked him on the shoulder and I said, do you really mean that, that you don't believe anything unless you see it? That's right. <laughs> and again, I don't know what they was talking about, but he made that statement. And I said, well, you believe your mother's your mother. Well, what's that got to do with it? I said, just answer me. Do you, do you believe that your mother is your mother? Well, certainly. I said, well, how do you believe that? You didn't see yourself being born. See, you believe in things that you haven't seen. There's a doctor that signed a, petition, a paper, said you're her son. The nurse signed it. Uh, the hospital signed it. Your mom and your, your dad and, and uh, your, child, your uh, siblings uh, declared that, that you're uh, uh, of her, that she's your mother. And you got aunts, uncles, and cousins that declare it. And you have absolutely no doubt that you're her son, but you didn't see your birth. So you do believe in some things that you haven't seen. I asked him about his boots. I said, those boots you're wearing, do you have any doubt that there's a factory somewhere that built those boots? That human hands and ingenuity put them boots together? I said, well, that's the unseen. You didn't see them built but you believe that somebody built them somewhere because of the evidence. Well, he never mentioned uh, being from Missouri anymore. <laughs> uh, verse 14 to 16. People who say such things show that they're looking for a, a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, there's no need us going through all of this that's written here in Hebrews 11. And we've already seen enough of it that we've pretty well seen all of it, really. And so the limitations impose restrictions, restricted uh, treatment of this context here. God delights in seeing those who accept him uh, at his word and is not ashamed uh, to be associated with them as their God. They all consistently rejected early, earthly, uh, temporary animities in view of the more glorious eternal rewards that God has for his people. 
verse 17 to 19. It says, basically, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise uh, was about to sacrifice this one and only son, even though God had said to him, through Isaac shall your, uh, uh, shall your uh, promised offspring come. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham, without faith, would have uh, uh, consented to be a murderer. But with faith, he was willing to predict, uh, proceed with the, with the uh, burnt offering of his son and then step back and watch God raise him from the dead. That was the nature of his faith. At this point, because of time, we, we, we just want to say a few words about some of the great men who lived in the Mosaical Age. Uh, we've seen them in the Patriarchal Age. Now, the Mosaical Age. We'll have to forego commentary on uh, verse 19 through 22 because it'll be evident from what we've already studied. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, uh, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was not an, an ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now the Hebrew writer will continue as he talks about people under the Mosaical dispensation. He tells us in verse 22, by faith Moses, he had already mentioned a number of others, but quite evidently the demonstration of faith are always there. The hope is always clear. The invisible ingredient is always manifested by the visible actions. And so they gave the manifestation of faith toward God. Look at the faith of Moses. He refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter and thereby apparently gave up the position of being king of Egypt. He chose rather the, uh, the mistreatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Is sin pleasurable? The Bible don't lie to you. It tells you sin is pleasurable but it also tells you it's for a season. <laughs> the long-term glories in heaven would not be sacrificed to short-term pleasures in Egypt. He regarded uh, uh, disgrace for the sake of Christ greater value than that of the treasures of Egypt. <clears throat> Look at this man of faith. Here is a manifestation of faith that has relations toward Messiah and Messiah is 1500 years off into the future of his life and yet Moses knew that Messiah is coming because God had promised him and on the basis of that Mo Moses gave up the, ki the kingly position in Egypt 
He gave up all the treasures of Egypt. He gave up He gave up all the pleasures of Egypt. Without faith, that would be a foolish choice, wouldn't it? But with faith, it would be much more foolish and stupid not to make that decision. To enjoy the riches of Messiah's reign is a privilege worthy of any sacrifice here on earth. Faith enables the proper uh, perspective with which to make life's most challenging decisions. Faith will lead a man always to conduct his life on the basis of the invisible but real spiritual rewards that God has for his people. It was on the basis of faith that Isaac, uh, that Israel crossed the Red Sea. By faith they conquered the land of Canaan. By faith the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, a harlot named Rahab was saved because she knew that God was with Israel. And so the writer summarized what he did not have time or space to develop. He said, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Now, he would have liked to just spend a little time uh, looking at uh, what uh, some of those people did by faith. We have already seen some fabulous things. Uh, faith will always give its demonstration. That's the point we've been looking at all the way through this. And if there is no demonstration, if there's no external acts of obedience to manifest that faith, that is not biblical faith at all. Faith is faith when it results in surrender and submission to the will of God. Faith is faith when it results in obedience. And so the writer says in verse 32, What shall I say more? Uh, how much more demonstration do you need about faith building on uh, the invisible. Faith has its hope founded upon the conviction that God is trustworthy. And men of faith can conquer kingdoms, administer justice, uh, gain what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quench the fury of flames, escape the edge of the sword, uh, see weakness turned into strength, become uh, powerful in battle, uh, rout foreign armies, receive back their dead, and many other such victories. Some glorious things can be accomplished by faith. That's some of them. Yet for faith, some horrible things can be endured without wavering. For faith, some were tortured and refused to be released. Faced, they faced jeers and floggings and were uh, uh, in chain, put in prison, were stoned, were sawn in two, uh, died by the sword. They went about in sheep's clothing, 
and uh, goats, sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. They lived in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Faith is victorious even in the face of apparent defeat. The writer affirms, this world was not worthy of them, but to God they are worthy. And so he has prepared for them a city, and this city's builder and maker is God. And it is a city that has foundations that will last throughout eternity. Faith is the dynamic, successful living here and the key to eternal life in the hereafter. Our time's up, and I got to finish where I wanted to finish this morning, get through that chapter. Next week, we'll begin in chapter 12. And I, we hit it right on the time, too. The time is up. Thank you.